I want to thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to participate in this tribute to our veterans. I'm a little nervous, but that'll go away real quick. Of all the military bugle calls, none is so easily recognized or more apt to evoke emotions in people than the call of taps. The melody is both elegant and haunting. Taps began as a revision to the signal for lights out at the end of the day. The music for taps was adapted by Union General Daniel Butterfield for his brigade in July 1862 during the Civil War. General Butterfield, with the help of his brigade bugler, wrote taps to honor his men while in camp following the Seven Days Battles of 1862. This new bugle call soon spread to the units of the Union Army. Some even say that some of the Confederate units used this bugle call. Taps was made an official bugle call after the Civil War. And I was wrong, I didn't get less nervous. <clears throat> <laughs> the use of taps is unique in the, in the United States military. The first time I ran into it was at night, lying in the bunk, and it was the last call of the day. When taps sounded, it reminded you of who you were, why you were there, and all the people that had gone before you. This call is sounded at funerals, at wreath-laying ceremonies, especially in Arlington, at the Tomb of the Unknowns, and in all memorial services like we have today. It is a bugle call that beckons us to remember patriots who served our country with honor and valor. It is the most familiar of all calls and one that moves people who hear it. I've preached a few military funerals, and when it gets to taps, it's hard for me to go on after that. And I'm sure Brother Russell will know what I'm talking about. It just, it just is a, a way of, it reaches into your soul and lets you know what this country is all about and why. Today is Veterans Day, as you all know it, but some of you remember it as Armistice Day. In World War I, the armistice, which ended the fighting on the Western Front, was signed in 1918. And it was signed to take place on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. The first official celebration of Armistice Day came November 11th, 1919. And in your, your bulletin, it refers to President Wilson's proclamation on this first American Armistice Day. I'll leave that for you to read, and I won't, I won't try to read it. But he, he was our president during World War I. World War I was so terrible, so terrible. It was called the war to end all wars. It was so terrible that no one thought there would ever be another war. America lost 58,480 dead and 14,290 missing for a total of 72,770. And we were only in that war about a year that we lost 72,000 men. The rest of the world, and it was a world war, had 7 million 996,888 dead. There were 1,979,556,000 missing for a total of 9,976,444 people dead or missing in the war. That was thought so terrible and so horrible there would never be another war. An entire generation of most countries, all the young men, from the ages of about 16 to about 30, 35, were gone. They were dead, wiped out, an entire generation. When the armistice was signed, it was thought to be the, the end of all wars. And in 1938, Armistice Day, as it was called, and as I remember it growing up, 
was made a federal holiday, 1938, to celebrate the war to end all wars. One year later, in 1939, World War II started. Another war, another world war in 1939. And in World War II, we lost 407,000 men dead. So the war to end all wars didn't end any wars. World War II didn't end any wars. They've been going on ever since. After the Korean War started and ended, it too ended with sort of an armistice. It, it has never had a peace treaty signed. Officially, that war is still going on. So in 1954, following the Korean War, the holiday was changed. The name of it was changed to Veterans Day. Then in 1968, Congress, in their infinite wisdom, decided that they would make it not November the 11th, but the fourth Monday in October to give people an extra day of, of off work in their uh, three-day holiday law. But in 1978, after so much pressure from veterans organizations like the DAV, the American Legion, the BFW, the AMFETS, and so on, Congress moved it back to November the 11th. Louisiana had already done that in 1972. Now I want, I want to tell you a little story about the war to end all wars. <clears throat> and bear with me on this. On November the 11th, Armistice Day, the day that it occurred, 1918, my aunt, Pauline Furman, wrote a special note in her diary in the little book with a black cover that read, Our Baby, she wrote to her newborn son. He was about a year old. What a great, this is her a quote from her book. What a great and glorious, never-to-be-forgotten day. There were bells ringing, blow, whistles blowing, and shrieking. The very air was resonant with the wonderful message of peace. Brandon, little baby, that was her son. You don't know now, but someday daddy and mother will tell you about this terrible war and of this happy day. As happy as I was, I could not keep the tears back, and a feeling of sadness came over me when I thought of the boys who would never come back and those who had given their life's blood on the battlefield over there. And the poor mothers who waited in vain. That's a significant point the poor mothers who waited in vain for their sons who would never come back. Then she said, and wrote in her book, but my darling, you will never have to go to war, for this is the war to end all wars. U.S. Army First Sergeant Brandon Furman died June 6, 1942, in a Japanese prisoner of war camp in the Philippines. His mother, Pauline, had waited for three years for news of her son's fate. She learned of it only after prisoners were released and, and uh, came back home. The war to end all wars did not end for Pauline Furman. Thank you. Three teens were arrested today for defacing the Kensington Park War Memorial overnight. The destruction includes painted messages against the military and the war in the Middle East. The three teens were picked up in the early morning Where, hours after evidence was left at the scene. Grandpa, something wrong? Some people sure have short memories. And those who are too young to know need to be taught. Come on, I, I want to show you guys something. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. 
dawn on the morning of the 6th of June, 1944. 225 rangers jumped off the British landing craft and ran to the bottom of these cliffs. 225 came here. After two days of fighting, only 90 could still bear arms. These are the boys of Puente Lobo. These are the men who took the cliffs. These are the champions who helped free a continent. These are the heroes who helped end a war. You are men who in your, quote, lives fought for life and left the vivid air signed with your honor. In the name of God and country, I learned to defy gravity. To honor my family, I lived in the belly of a beast. I fixed the hearts of iron monsters. I became a worm in the mud for dignity, for honor, for righteousness sake, for God and country. I fought for you. I fought for you. For you. I fought for you. I fought for you. I fought for you. I fought for you. For you. For you. For you. For you. I fought for you. I fought for you. I fought for you, and I do it again. You take your seats. We have one more thing we want to do. And I know that this, this can be a heavy moment, so we're going to do something to lift it for just a moment here. How many of you know every branch has their song? And so we're going to play one more video, and it's going to sing all the branches of the military's song. And so when they sing your song, we want to ask the veterans to stand up to their song and sing along and then stay standing, and then we're going to give them another applause at the end. But we want to play this special song in it. And this is, uh, believe it or not, a, a group that's going to knock you off your feet, and you're going, to, you're going to want to run me off, that you're going to find out that this is Kiss singing God Bless America to our troops. But Gene Simmons, believe it or not, does go to Bible study, and I know... Tim's story, he told me out of his own lips about Gene Simmons, and he's going to be singing God Bless America. So how many of you know God can even save kings and satanic services and make them sons of God? Amen. So anyway, we're going to play this song, and as they sing your branch, we want you to stand up and sing along with them. And I also want you to be looking in the faces of these soldiers as their song is being sung, and how I just want you to see our sons and daughters who are serving our country. And so, I want you to receive this, and let's have a good time. And if you would please stand every time they sing your song. Let's go! Yes, I hear it! Oh, yeah! Here we go! Now, that's what I'm talking about! Yeah! We're going to start with Army! If you know the words, sing it! Army, please stand up. Don't like this. All the 
served and those who are serving. God bless you. Hallelujah. You may be seated. You know, I've been told a lot of churches don't do this, and I've been told I'm too patriotic, but I don't believe you can be too patriotic because I love my nation and I know you do too. But we have a nation because we have men and women who've been willing to give their lives and serve 
And today I want to share with you just a few minutes on what I felt would be an awesome message because they have a number of books about lessons from so many things. But there are some things. The church is called to be the army of the Lord. And I believe I want to share with you today some important things about lessons from soldiers. You know, there's over 25 million, 24 million veterans living among us. And that's why we want to honor them and honor this day. And the first thing I want to share with you about one of the lessons we learned from soldiers is the word courage. We read that and so many times we don't pay attention to it and allow it to get down in the depths of our hearts. But we have to have courage. Not only do soldiers have to have courage, but we as Christians do. And so many times we give up, we lose heart, we think it's useless along the way. While my son was going through boot camp, they had to run into one of the stalls in boot camp because one of the young men had slit his throat trying to commit suicide and they ran in there trying to save him. And the barracks next door, just in boot camp alone, another young man jumped off the fire escape, broke his neck, and he had to be discharged. They didn't have the heart to continue. There are Christians who many times we give up in the race, which Paul calls the race, which we have to run and we have to win. And to do that, one of the lessons we can learn from soldiers who've done it and who have made it is courage. Winston Churchill said, Courage is rightly esteemed the first of human qualities because it is the quality which guarantees all other qualities. There's another quote of courage. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Soldiers have said, It is never a question of feeling adequate or being inadequate. Courage or lack of it is obedience to the command. And I love that, obedience to the command. And that's what we're called to do in, in, even in our walk in Christianity. It says in Hebrews eleven thirty three and 34, By faith, I put by obedience and by courage, these people overthrew kingdom, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them, that shut the mouths of lion, quenched the flames of fire, and here's a good prayer for our servicemen, and escaped death. Can I hear an amen, family? Do you see it in the word right here? Escaped death. Can I hear another amen? amen? Escaped death by the edge of the sword. I'd like to add even from bombs and from bullets. I thank God for Psalms 91 over our soldiers. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If they could escape it, our young men and women can escape it. Their weakness is turned to strength. They became strong. Somebody shout out strong. Strong in battle. And put whole armies to flight. That's our men. And that's our women serving. Verse 38. Listen to this. Brother Charles, you were in Afghanistan. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts. Iraq. Kuwait. Mountains. Afghanistan. Look at this. Hiding in caves and holes. In the ground. Vietnam. The, young, the man who served with you in Vietnam. I think you called him the rat. He was the mole. He was the one who would go in the caves, not knowing what he was facing, but he would go in there to search for Vietnam, Vietnamese and for bombs. Going in holes in the ground, that's courage. How many of you would say that was courage? 1776, our forefathers, George Washington, and many men were in Valley Forge in that winter. It said that in that valley, nine out of ten soldiers had no shoes. For a month, they were cold. 12,000 American troops lived in tents. There was not enough food or firewood, and people would not sell them any food from the surrounding farms. If they could, they'd make fire, uh, fire cakes, which was tasteless mixture of fire, flour and water. 2,000 soldiers died there. And a uh, hundred years later, Henry Brown wrote, Trials that rarely have failed to break the fortitude of men awaited them there. False friends shall endeavor to undermine their virtue and secret enemies to shake their faith. The Congress whom they serve shall prove helpless to protect them and their country herself seemed unmindful of their suffering. Danger shall not frighten nor temptation have power to seduce them. Doubt shall not shake their love of country nor suffering overcome their fortitude. The powers of evil shall not prevail against them for they are the conventional army, and these are the hills of Valley Forge. The heroic dead who have suffered here are beyond our reach. 
No human eulogy can make their glory greater. No failure to do them justice can make it less. Their trials have secured the happiness of a continent. Their labors have borne fruit in, a free, in the free institutions of a powerful nation. And their examples give hope to every race and clime. Their names live on in the lips of grateful people. And their memory is cherished in their children's heart. And they shall endure forever. The courage of the men of Valley Forge. The brave men and soldiers in combat. They're not known for being full-headed. They're, you don't have a whole lot of daredevils and men and women who are just going to go out there to do it to try to get attention. There are young men and women who dare to do their duty despite their feelings, despite their fears, with raw courage. They may not start that way, but they know that duty calls and they must respond. Someone said, courage is not the absence of fear. It is the willingness to take the positive action in the face of danger. Bravery is an action of the will as opposed to the condition of the mind. An old proverb said, fear and doubt knocked on the door, but it's courage and faith that answers. One of the lessons that we can learn from courage is that courage begins, first of all, in an inward battle. Every test you face as a soldier, as a believer, as a human being, that battle begins within you. All the significant battles are waged within a self. Courage is not an absence of fear. In fact, it's doing what you're afraid of. It's having the power to let go of the familiar and forge ahead into new territory. Courage is making things right, not just smoothing over them. The ultimate measure of a man is not what, where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at the times of challenge and controversy. Courage deals with principle, not perception. If you don't have the ability to see when to stand up and the conviction to do it, you'll never be an effective soldier. Your dedication to potential must remain strong than your desire to appease others. Billy Graham said this of courage. He said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. Isn't that awesome? I want to share another one with you quickly. Loyalty. Loyalty means to display faithfulness and fidelity as in a contract or covenant. It is the faithful performance of duty. It means to be constant, dedicated, devoted, earnest, patriotic, steadfast, trustworthy, connected, and unfailing. William Bennett wrote, Our loyal ties are important signs of the kind of persons we have chosen to become. They mark a kind of consistency and steadfastness in our attachments to those other persons, groups, institutions, or ideas with which we have deliberately decided to associate ourselves with. Loyalty is like courage in that it shows itself with clear and operating under stress. Real loyalty endures inconvenience, withstands temptations, and does not cringe under assault. When I read that about not cringing under assault, I thought of Jesus. It says in John 19, 10, Then Pilate said to him, You're not speaking to me. Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has a greater sin. And it says that the guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us. Who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts and terrible insults at him. Jesus was loyal to the cross despite the shame and despite the way he was treated. You know, this hour, a lot of people don't understand loyalty. And I heard the story of a rich oilman from Texas who was married to a young lady. And he looked at her one day with tears in his eyes. And he said, if I would lose everything, would you still love me? She says, oh, I would love you, but I would miss you. <laughs> Sometimes that's as far as loyalty goes. Look at this scripture, and I thought of this, Brother Charles, Proverbs 20, verse 6. Most men who proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? One of the things I truly respect of the soldiers, the veterans, is how they do not desire the praise and the glory. In fact, when they receive medals, 
They desire that everyone around them receive medals. They're not out for self-glory because they know it takes one and it takes all. Proverbs 20 verse 28 says, Unfailing love and faithfulness protect the king, protect the president, protect our nation. His throne or our nation is made secure through love. To be a soldier is to be a person of love. Loyalty. I heard another story, and these were about two soldiers in a foxhole, and they were getting ready to have to jump out of the foxhole and charge the enemy. And so one of the soldiers gave his buddy a letter and said, look, this is for my girlfriend Sally back home. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it, so if I don't make it, I want you to give her this letter, and I want you to tell her that the last words of my lip was Sally and how much I love her, how much I care for her, and I wrote this letter with her on my mind. He handed it over to his buddy, then he put out another letter. He said, and this is for Mary. Tell her the same thing. (laughs) So a lot of times that's as far as loyalty goes. And the third lesson we can learn from soldiers is self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. John 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. Once again, I would like to ask Brother Donald Furman, if you would share the story, please, that heroic story of the chaplains. On February the 3rd, 1943, an American transport ship the SSAT Dorchester was full to capacity with 902 soldiers, sailors, merchant marine, and civilian workers. They were going from New York to Greenland to an air base that had been established in Greenland. And the air base was a, a stopping point for planes that were being ferried to uh, Europe for the war effort. They were 150 miles from Greenland. They broke away from the convoy which had destroyers escorting them to protect them. They were in what was known as Torpedo Junction, where German submarines were known to be waiting for convoys to come through to sink American ships. And many had already been sunk in in February 1943. There was a German submarine sitting out there. It had been spotted the day before by the destroyers, but it was felt that they were getting close enough to Greenland that the water was too shallow for the submarines to operate. But the captain of the ship ordered the men to sleep in their clothing and their life jackets. Many ignored these orders due to the heat in the compartments in the cramped quarters and the discomfort of life jackets. For any of you men that have sailed in a troop ship where the bunks are about five stacked high, crammed into the the ship anywhere they can put it, you'll know what was going on there. They were just too uncomfortable to wear those life jackets. And when they said their winter clothes, that included an overcoat, a big woolen overcoat that they were expected to be wearing. There were four U.S. Army chaplains on board the Dorchester. They're on the screen behind me. These four had attended chaplain school together at Harvard University, and they were bonded like brothers. Even though they were of different faiths, they often prayed together. The first was Lieutenant George L. Fox. At that time, they were not called first lieutenants, second lieutenants. They were called chaplain lieutenants. And they were, they were not recognized as regular Army officers until later. George Fox was a 40-year-old Methodist minister from Vermont. At the age of 17, he had joined the Army Ambulance Corps in World War I. 17 years old, fighting in World War I. The Ambulance Corps was like our medics in later wars. He won a silver star when he rescued a wounded soldier from a battlefield that was filled with poison gas. And George Fox had no gas mask, but he went out and got this soldier and brought him back. He was given the silver star for that. Then the French Croix de Guerre, which is the French Cross of War for bravery, He was given that during an artillery barrage for his bravery. Only 42 Americans in World War I were given that award 
by the French. One of them was Sergeant York. Another, some of you may have heard of him. Another one was Eddie Rickenbacker, who was a pilot, who was our ace in the war. He was also given a Purple Heart for a broken back and shrapnel wounds that he got from an artillery barrage while he was out in the field tending to the wounded soldiers. Lieutenant Fox was married, and he had two children. On the day that he went into the Army as a chaplain, his son went into the Marines, who, and he survived the war. He told his family this, I've got to go. I know from experience what our boys are about to face. The next chaplain is Chaplain Lieutenant Alexander Good. He was a 32-year-old Jewish rabbi from New York. He had served nine years in the National Guard. He was married and he had one daughter. He had tried to join the Navy nine months prior to Pearl Harbor, but they wouldn't take him. He was turned down. They, they uh, had a lot of applicants for chaplains, and they didn't need them all, so they didn't take them all. But in 1942, he changed and joined the Army Chaplain Corps. And he said this, I wanted to serve the needs of the service members, uh, members defending freedom. Then the third one is Chaplain John P. Washington. He was a 38-year-old Roman Catholic priest from New Jersey. He had joined the, uh, the Cap Chaplain's Corps right after World War started at Pearl Harbor. His statement was, God must have something special he wants me to do. And the fourth and last is Chaplain Clark V. Poling, a 33-year-old Dutch Reformed Church minister from New York. He was married, he had one son, and his wife was expecting. That daughter was born after he died. His father, Clark Poling's father, was a U.S. Army chaplain in World War I. And he said this to his father as he was leaving. Dad, don't pray for my safe return. Many will not return. And to ask God for special favors would not be fair. Just pray that I will do my duty and never be a coward. Approximately 1 a.m. in the morning, 0100 hours, the German submarine U-223 fired two torpedoes which hit the Dorchester amidship and below the waterline. About 100 men were killed in the explosions. All power and radio in the ship went out. No distress flares were sent up. Nobody remembers why. But the ship was sinking rapidly, and the captain ordered abandoned ship. Panic ensued among the men. They had been downstairs on their bunks with no, no warm clothes on and, and no life jackets on. When they began to try to launch the lifeboats and rafts, many of them capsized, and those that didn't capsize in the rafts were thrown over, and they drifted off to sea with nobody on them. The four chaplains then moved about the soldiers, and hear what they did. They were guiding men to their lifeboat stations. If you've ever been on a cruise, you're told you, you go through a lifeboat drill, and you know where your station is and where you're supposed to go. But in the wild panic of the explosion of the ship and the men running around, uh, no one knew where they were supposed to go. And the ship was leaning on the side, so some of the lifeboats could not be launched. And some that were launched were capsized by too many men trying to get in them. The chaplains coaxed men frozen in fear to go down over the side of the ship. They preached courage to the men. And they prayed with the dying and the wounded. Then they opened a life jacket locker and then passed them out to the men until all the life jackets were gone. At that point, the four chaplains took off their life jackets and gave them to four frightened men. A survivor said, it was the finest thing I have ever seen or hoped to see this side of heaven. The chaplains then linked arms, grasping the railing, and began singing and praying and shouting biblical encouragements in English, Hebrew, and Latin. One of the survivors who said he was floating in the water among the dead bodies of the soldiers who had jumped and drowned and frozen to death. Remember, they were 150 miles from Greenland, and the water was probably freezing cold, and they were dying fast. 
He said, their voices were the only thing that kept me going. In 27 minutes, the ship went down. 675 men died, among them the four chaplains. John 15, 13, as Pastor Schultz says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. A true soldier serves, serves his people at their best interest, would not always be popular, not always impressive, but because a true soldier is linked by love rather than desire for personal glory and are willing to pay the price. With this, I would like to ask Staff Sergeant Charles A. Bear if he would come and share a story of a modern-day hero. Not long ago, Americans became acquainted with the U.S. Army general known as Norman Schwarzkopf. He displayed highly successful leadership abilities in commanding the Allied troops in the Persian Gulf War, just as he had done throughout his entire career beginning in his days at West Point. In Vietnam, he turned around a battalion that was in shambles. The first battalion of the 6th Infantry, known as the worst of the 6th. They went from laughing stock to effective fighting force and were selected to perform more difficult missions. That turned out to be an assignment to which Schwarzkopf described as a, I'm sorry, yeah. They went on uh, laughing stock and effective fighting force and was selected to perform more difficult missions. That turned out to be an assignment that Schwarzkopf described as a horrible, malignant place called the Battingan Peninsula. There it had been fought for over 30 years and was covered with mines and booby traps and, and was the site of numerous weekly casualties from those devices. Schwarzkopf made the best of a bad situation. He introduced procedures that greatly reduced the, the casualties, and whenever a soldier was injured by a mine, he flew, in, he flew out to check out on the man had him evacuating using his own chopper and talked to the other men to boost their morale. On May 28, 1970, a man was injured by a mine and Schwarzkopf flew to the man's location while the helicopter was evacuating the injured soldier. Another soldier stepped on a mine, severely injuring his leg. The man thrashed around on the ground around and around, screaming and wailing. That was when every, everyone realized the first mine had only been a booby trap. They were all standing in the middle of a minefield. Schwarzkopf believed the injured man could survive and keep his leg, but only if he stopped flailing around. There was only one thing he could do. He had to go after the man and immobilize him. Schwarzkopf wrote, I started through the minefield, one slow step at a time, staring at the ground looking for the telltale bumps or little prongs sticking out from the dirt. My knees were shaking so hard that each time that I took a step, I had to grab my leg and steady it with both hands before I could take another. It seemed like a thousand years before I reached the kid. The 240-pound Schwarzkopf 
who had been a wrestler at West Point, then pinned the wounded man and calmed him down. It saved his life. And with the help of an engineer team, Schwarzkopf got him and the others out of the minefield. The quality that Schwarzkopf displayed that day could be described as heroism, courage, or even foolhardiness. But I think the word that describes it best is servanthood. On that day in May, the only, thing, the only way he could be an effective leader was to serve the soldier that was in trouble. I'd just like to end with some of these ideas, lessons we learn from soldiers. Soldier is self-sacrificial because he puts others' plans ahead of his own. They put their dreams, their studies, their families, their wives, their daughters, their fathers and mothers to better build this nation. And for that, we thank you, soldiers. They possess the confidence to serve from a real heart and obey and do their duties from their heart. They serve out of love, as we heard it earlier. God, family, nation, and freedom. What a soldier does is done out of love and fueled by love and of courage. And for that, we'd like to say thank you to our Veterans Day. Would everyone please stand and let's give our veterans another round of applause and thank them. I encourage you Thursday, if you can, do attend the Veterans Parade. Uh, the Town Talk says 9, the Veterans Site says 10, so it's 10. Uh, around here, you just got to take your pick. But uh, please watch these men. Many times we see older grandpas and we look at them and so many of them are heroes. And I want you to thank a veteran and be conscious of what you heard today as we honored those who paid the sacrifice for us to have the freedom of religion and our children to have the lives and the freedom that they have today and tomorrow. The, the land of the free because of the brave. Amen. Yes. Thank you. And I ask you if you bow your head and close your eyes. As we're here today, we're honoring our veterans, but the most important thing, of course, is being the presence of Almighty God. It's because of them we have this freedom to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's because of Jesus and the price and sacrifice that He paid that we can have a life of freedom for eternity. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you would die today and you don't know whether you would go to heaven or you would spend eternity in hell, we want to give you the opportunity to surrender your heart and lives to Jesus and ask Him to come into your heart and be your personal Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you say, I need a new life. I need freedom. I need Jesus to come to my heart and save me, wash me from my sins, my errors, my ways. I need eternal life. If that's you, would you please raise your hand right there where you are. Raise it real high so we can see. Real high so I can know. Let God see your hand right now. Let Jesus see your hand that you want to receive him as Lord and Savior. Anyone at all, don't let this opportunity pass you by. If you saved, you know it. Say amen. I want to encourage you veterans. We have gifts for you at this table to your left, to the right. When you walk out, we have free gifts. I want you to go and please make yourself at home and, and get you some uh, gifts that we just want a little momentum, momentum of how much we honor you. We love you. I want to encourage you to come back tonight as I get ready to share some special things and I believe even go along with these, some of these songs in the area of vision and holding on regardless of what we may see. We love you. We bless you. Thank you for being here. And please remember to honor our vets before you go. God bless you. Brother Jake, would you just miss us? Father, we just thank you so much, God, for all these men and women, Lord, who have laid their lives on the line, Lord, and sacrificed for us, for our freedom. 
Jesus, we thank you so much for laying down your life for our eternal freedom. So today we just love you. We thank you. We ask you to just be with each family as they're with their loved ones. Lord, be with each soldier wherever they are around the world. Let them feel the love of Jesus, the love of and support from us, from America, from around the, the world. Father, we thank you for sending that love to them right now. In Jesus' name, we ask you to be with them with the holidays coming up, Lord, that they'll feel the want from their family and the concern and the prayers from their family and friends. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. We give you all the praise, the glory, and honor. And everyone said, amen.